Well, at this time, I'd like to invite up Pastor Joe and Pastor Jerry as, they, as we talk about our series in the end times. Welcome, everybody. So good to, go so good to see you all here tonight. Uh, tonight will be the introduction to the series. We're not putting an end date to this. We're going to keep going as long as the Holy Spirit keeps leading us, and we'll keep moving in that direction. Amen? Amen. So tonight will be more of an introduction. Uh, am I right? Yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Introduce. Go? Go. Okay. Um, Tonight, we're going to be talking about, over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about um, an aspect of end times. You can't do end times in one, two, or three weeks. Um, I know God put this on my heart uh, to study the end times almost 22 years ago. So you're, you're, we're going to be talking about things that um, I've been studying and pastors been studying in the Word for years. Um, you, you, you study these things out and you ask the Holy Spirit, what's this for? And you get a sense, it's not for now. It's not for now. Um, but talking to pastors. But all of a sudden now, it's like, it's now. It's, it's now. now. <laughs> it's now. And um, so as part of an introduction, and you've got some handouts there, we, we may get to those tonight, okay? Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, though, is uh, before we got started, is is the word prophecy. Now, a couple of the uh, I saw a couple of students from the uh, Bible school here. They know um, that we've looked at that. The um, the the things that we're going to be looking at tonight have been handed down over the years uh, as part of prophecy. But I wanted to just take a few seconds and clarify what we mean when we start uh, using certain words. And during the course of, the, uh, of our study over the next few weeks, you're going to get college-level stuff. Um, if there's a Greek word that um, needs to be drawn out, we're going to draw it out. We're going to give you the Greek meaning, and you're going to see some verses come alive. you mind if I jump in? Sure. Okay. When we talk about the word prophecy, we need, to, we need to explain a little bit further. Prophecy in the New Testament is twofold. When someone gives a word, say we, we use this Christianese, someone gives a word. In other words, when someone may be in a prayer meeting during a worship time in a setting like this, in a regular church service, you can have a person at times receive an inspired message that's coming from the Holy Spirit. And usually it'll apply to either the whole crowd that's in the service at that time or prayer meeting, or it might apply to one or two individuals. That's a form of prophecy. And without going into a lot of details, the Bible talks about that form of prophecy as giving edification, exhortation, and comfort. Okay? So that's a type of prophecy. But then what we're going to be talking about more now is prophecy that was given by God in the Old Testament that we're now is carrying over in the New Testament where the fulfillment comes. That type of prophecy, we can categorize it as a prediction. So you see the difference? A prophecy can be any kind of spoken word uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that is specific to a group of individuals for a specific time, okay? Or it could be something that is a word of prediction. Now, that would be something that already has been revealed in the Word of God, but we're seeing now the fulfillment of it. Can I give it? Let me give an example, okay? For instance, in both Matthew chapter 24 and both in Luke chapter 24, Jesus refers to Jerusalem and makes this prediction that um, Jerusalem would be occupied by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles was over, okay? That's one of the real telltale prophecies that has come to pass 
that has already come to pass that kind of clarifies and gives evidence that we are in the last days because of this. Now, 70 AD, the Romans came, and really you could say that even during Jesus' time, Jerusalem was occupied by the Gentiles because the Romans occupied the entire area, okay? But he said now, you know, he said he would return, in the last days would go into effect, I'm trying to paraphrase it, when Jerusalem ceased being under the occupation of Gentiles. Well, that happened in 1967. That's not that long ago. In the, eyes of, of, in the eyes of prophecy, looking through the eyes of prophecy, that's yesterday. Amen. 1967 is only, what? 55 years ago. 55, 56 years ago, okay? So we're in that fulfillment now. Jerusalem has been restored to the Jews as its capital. Now, it started in 1948 when Israel was declared a nation, but even in the late 1800s, Jews from Europe and from North Africa and from other Middle Eastern countries started already flooding back to Israel. 1948 was declared a nation, which began the clock ticking. But 1967, the clock went tick just a couple of minutes before midnight. So that's a prediction that Jesus made that came to pass. Another prediction he made to show you that this stuff is real and it comes to pass is that Jesus prophesied, and this, I keep saying this because it's one of the, the most obvious predictions, one of the prophecies that he gave, that the entire complex, the temple complex would be destroyed, but not just destroyed, but be dismantled. And he said specifically, not one of these stones, and some of them are two, three, four tons, would, be, would remain on top of each other uh, when the temple was destroyed, and that was fulfilled 100%. You can go today and see those blocks that were pried apart that fell into the valley behind where the temple mount is. It happened. It's come to pass. Amen? Amen. So, you want to talk more about this? Well, Go ahead. Run with it. Okay. That will lead us into this. The word that we... And, and that's a, a perfect clarification and we needed to make that because when we use words in the English... Sometimes we derive a meaning from them that was not the original meaning in the Greek. And we all know that the New Testament was written in common Greek, yes? Yeah. Yeah. So the word prophecy comes from the Greek word prophetos. Prophetos translates into the English much better than prophecy with the English word message. And so you can see that when someone prophesies, they're really bringing a message of God, the Holy Spirit as Pastor said, is anointing them for bringing a message. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, for two reasons. If you look in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, do not despise the message from God. Reading on in 21, but examine it carefully. As it, it says here, but examine everything, hold fast to what is good. Amen. Why do I say that before we even start? There are a lot of things out there that are being purported now as a message of God. God is not going to say to Pastor Jerry, what did Pastor Smith say? God's going to say to Pastor Jerry, did you weigh it against my word? What does the word and say? That's the yeah. caution. Yeah. Even what we say up here, are you going to go home and weigh it against the word? Now, one of the things we're going to be doing here tonight is we're going to be opening it for questions. We want your questions. Um, what, questioning, what is the message from God? But in this atmosphere sometimes it gets open to, well, let's debate it. No, what Pastor and I are bringing is the Word of God. Amen. We're not opening this up for debate. So we want your questions, but we're not going to honor the debate. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, good, good. So if, if go ahead, I, in order for us to keep this a, um, a safe place, and I don't mean that in a woke sense, 
But what I'm saying is in order for, the, for everything to be done in decency and order as we're commanded in the scriptures, this is not the format for those type of things. We're not saying that we won't entertain questions. We will. But we're not going to get back and forth in an argument. Okay? Uh, so is that clear? All right, good. Because that, that'll let us move forward a lot quicker. So I, I think everyone here can, can, is, is, is on board with that. That's the amen, correct? So let's do a little bit of an overview. And, and believe me, this is not exhaustive. But we're going to, as I say to my classes, we're, let's just take the, a look at First Thessalonians from about 35,000 feet, okay? And what can we tell from it? Well, the letter to the, of Paul to the Thessalonian church is called the letters of Paul to the Thessalonians or the epistles of Paul to the Thessalonian church. Um, they're New Testament letters. Uh, they're written by Paul the Apostle. That's never been in question. Um, even the early church fathers credited these letters to Paul. Uh, the letters were each written from the city of Corinth in Archaea, which is in southern Greece. If we had a map, I could show you that. And um, it, they were written around 50 CE. Now remember that date. That's important in a couple of minutes. And they were addressed to the Christian uh, uh, community that's found in the, in the city of Thessalonica, which is still there to this day. Um, our son years ago did a missionary journey to Thessalonica and worked at an orphanage there when he was 12. Um, it's a big city. It is, it is a big city, and, and, and all of the first century things that identify it as that city are there present today. So the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, and then there is the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. They are the 13th and 14th books of the New Testament. That becomes significant in another minute. Many Bible scholars hold that 1 Thessalonians, and here's why, is the earliest of Paul's epistles, particularly because it indicates from its internal, uh, um, uh, from the internal evidence, uh, that it talks about events leading to the founding of the congregation, and these events were still very fresh in Paul's mind. He's not referring to them as something ethereal, he's or abstract. He's talking about them as concrete memories. Can I, I'm going to throw yes, something sir. in here. I want to address some things so we, we're all on the same page. Um, some of you, if you've done some Bible study yourself, especially New Testament letters and things of this nature, even the Gospels, if you go online, they make it sound like, for the most part, and there's people that have actually, and even Christians, professors, well, most of these were written 150 to 200 years after the fact. That's impossible, completely impossible, and it's very easy to prove that. Not one of the letters, not one of the Gospels, not one of the epistles written to the church mentioned the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you this question. If a history book was written about this country and Washington, D.C. was completely destroyed, do you think they would mention it in a history book? No. Yes. Do you think somebody would have talked about it? Yes. Do you think it would have been significant? Now, understand this. The temple is central to Judaism. It's the lifeblood of Judaism because that's the place where the sacrifices took place. That's the place where the Ark of the Covenant was at one time, where the, the Spirit of God uh, abided. That's an important thing. Now, every one of the writers of the New Testament were Jewish except for Luke. And who knows if he didn't have, if he wasn't maybe his mother or somebody in the family might have been because he, he took to the Gospels very quickly. So, it's completely absurd to think that any of these epistles would have been written and nobody would have made mention that the temple in Jerusalem, especially the book of Hebrews, okay? The book of Revelation would have been a perfect place for them to mention the destruction. In fact, if anything, the writer of Hebrews talks about the tithe and talks about how then, at that point in time, men received tithes. He's talking about in the temple complex, in the temple compound. Nowhere is this mentioned. So when was the temple destroyed in Jerusalem? 70 AD. So every one of these letters had to be written before 70 AD within the lifetime of most of the people that were either firsthand witnesses or had heard it firsthand. 
Are you listening to me? So put any of that stuff out of your head that you might have read, that you might have saw the History Channel, okay, which if you're entertaining, well, it was online, it must be true. We need to pray for you. Or at least lay hands. Or at least lay hands on you. So you can, you can see we weren't being um, disorderly. We were actually bringing in order by addressing any debate factors because you never know where the source of these things can come from, whether it's Discovery Channel or someone who's mis been misled along the line. Um, among the other things, the letter was authored to refute malicious charges, probably originating from Jewish agitators who had begun to follow Paul. He, uh, they, they were claiming that he used guile and flattery to gain his converts. Paul points out that the, that the Thessalonians themselves were the eyewitnesses of, and it says in the text in 2.10, pure, upright, and blameless behavior on Paul's part. He likewise calls attention to the fact that he worked night and day so that it's not to burden anyone. And Paul then turns his sights, and this is for our, our interest, to some questions that had disturbed the young Christian community. In all probability, these questions may have been part of a letter that they had sent to Paul. The contents of that letter has been lost to antiquity. We don't have that letter. What do we have? The response. We've got Paul's response. We've got his first and second letter back to that community. And, and by reading the response, you can figure out what the letter was. Yeah. Because he's answering questions for them. Paul but, explains to everyone, both the living and the dead will share in Christ's resurrection at the time of Christ's second coming and forms a basis of our teaching of the end times. Now, I want to stop right here. I've been doing this since 1984, and I want to tell you in front of these people, Pastor, this is good. Yeah. You want to bring glory to the church in a time when we need this teaching. And he's opened this church up to dive into this. I know pastors, somebody was just saying tonight, who will teach Genesis to Jude and turn around and go in the other direction. They're afraid of the prophetic word that is applicable to this time. Well, how do we not teach this? Now, take it into consideration, and we're going to open up for any questions at this point after I'm done here. If this was the first letter, and we believe it is, and the, the content is all about the second coming, well, actually, the rapture and the second coming, if this was the first letter that he wrote to the churches, then obviously this, he felt, and the Holy Ghost impressed upon him and, and inspired him, this is the important message right now. You know what? Because I, I think I mentioned this over the weekend in one of the services, I don't remember... After a while, they all blend together. I was right more, so. so the, the message that got the Christians martyred and thrown to the lions of the early church was, he has risen and he's coming back. Yeah. He's risen and he's coming back. Well, what do you think the message needs to be today? Mm -hmm. He's risen <laughs> and he's coming back. Amen? Because yeah. both of those things should create an urgency in our hearts. Now, for those of us that are already born again, we've received Christ, he's our Lord, he's our Savior. We're in, we're good. But what about everybody else? What about everybody else? What about our neighbors, our coworkers, our extended family that don't know Christ yet? We don't wanna see, do you imagine, do you imagine the traumatic experience they're gonna have when the rapture takes place and they're left behind? Because everything's going to make, I mean, hell's going to start the second the church has gone off this earth. So that's why we want to go into this. We want to understand if this was important, and the Holy Ghost thought it was important enough for Paul to make this his debut letter. Today we would say, well, it's his podcast, you know. <laughs> if, it was so, if he spent all that time on his first podcast, then we should attach some significance to this. Amen. And especially, especially, let me say this and then I'll be quiet for a little bit. For a little bit. Okay. Understand this. Paul, Paul is Saul of Tarsus, the man who was raised up under one of the most famous rabbis in Judaism, Rabbi Gamaliel. 
Saul was raised to take his place. We're talking about somebody who knew the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, who knew the first covenant, who understood the promises that God made to Abram, who understood the prophets, who knew the things that were spoken of. And I think it's so appropriate that God used him because he knew how to put these things together, understood the significance. Because what we're talking about tonight is not something new, specific to the New Testament. It was in the Old Testament, but it was revealed and clarified in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. In fact, most of what we talk about as far as the second coming of the Messiah is in the Old Testament. And take into consideration, Paul didn't know he was writing the New Testament. None of the disciples knew they were writing. He thought he's writing a letter to a church, to a group of believers. And what is he basing on? What else has he got to base it on? He's got to base it on the scriptures, the Torah, the Psalms, the prophets. The wisdom. The wisdom of God. It was already revealed. So, I don't want you to think, well, this is a brand new thing. And although you might have come, I don't know what your background is, your church background, what your Bible study background is, whether you, I know if you're like me, when I first got born again, I came out of a church that never talked about any of this stuff. First time I, what? What do you mean he's coming back? I thought we'd go see him when we go to heaven. No, he's coming back and there's going to be a rapture. And all this other. I'm like, oh, cool. This is good. What's a rapture? What's a rapture? Yeah. We, we'll look at that. All right. So before we move any further, any questions, any comments, any whatever? About what we've covered so far. Right. What we've covered so far. Let's not go too far in the future. We're good? Here you go. Hold on until the microphone comes. Bill, you might as well stay up here someplace. All right. Um, I know that uh, you said that the Thessalonians is the, uh, Paul's debut letter. Why was Romans first in uh, the Bible? Why is the book of Job where it is? The book of Job is the oldest letter that was ever written in the Bible. We don't know. We don't know why they switch things around. You know, you have the book of Psalms. Some of those Psalms were written a thousand years before some of the others. So why the chronological order is the way it is? But don't forget, none of the first five books of the Bible were written down until Moses came on the scene. It wasn't like Adam sat there and wrote his autobiography. So you're talking 1,500 years later? No, 1,500 B.C., so like 33,000, whatever, 2,500 years after the fact. I don't know why it is, to be honest with you. I really don't. It's a great question. Because if I was putting it together, I would have put Thessalonians first. But nobody asked me. Um, my next question. What, is there anybody else that has a question before we go on? Speak now or forever hold your peace. All right, good, go ahead. Are we in the end times? Yes. Let's put up the first slide here. This, um, this I copy. Billy Brim did a, uh, a seminar a few months back, and it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, I wish I'd have done that, because you can't improve on it. Um, Can I just throw this yeah. in? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. No. Okay. We don't want to assume that everybody knows who Billy Brim is. Okay. Right. Billy Brim is a woman. Okay. She's an amazing teacher of the Word of God. She felt impressed by the Holy Spirit. I think at least 30 years ago to really delve into the scriptures in Hebrew. She lived in Israel for a while, studied with the rabbis there. She has gone back and forth. She's in touch with many, many of the major rabbis in Israel right now. Um, she, I believe, has an orphanage there or supported an no, orphanage she, there? Yes, she has an orphanage there. Migdal, uh, isn't it Migdal? Migdal Arbel? Okay. So, right. Very close, very close, very much in contact with. So, that's where we're coming. This isn't some, somebody we just pulled off the internet. Okay, this is someone that I personally have had uh, experience with her teachings for many, many years. Um, so, it's somebody we could put our trust in. Amen? Are we good? Go ahead. 
Um, I'm going to get up and walk around because I can't see it from here. So God is a God of order, would you say? Yes. And so God had uh, ordered the time of man that man would have a seven-day week. And we're also told in Scripture in two different places, in Psalms and in First Peter, that for the Lord, a day is a thousand years. Well, based on that, we can break down this, the, this, the season of time into these seven days. For the first thousand years, the initiation of that was the time of Adam. And it's known as the days of chaos. And next, after the days of chaos, came the time of the law or the days of the Torah. And the Torah extended over 2,000 years. And then came the Messiah. All of this was prophesied and follows an exact pattern, again, because we know God is a God of what? Order. 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 Uh, the times of the Messiah is 2,000 years. It's been about 2,000 years. And then the seventh day, which is God had established in the very beginning as the Sabbath, the seventh day is the 1,000-year reign of Jesus, which is Earth's Shabbat, or the Sabbath. The Sabbath. On that last pale blue bar, there is a seven-day swatch that you can't see. And that is the time of God's wrath. We will not be here for God's wrath. So between, between the purple and the blue? Yeah, between. It's, the reason we will not be here is because the scripture is very plain. God's wrath was poured out onto Jesus at the cross. If God's wrath is poured out on the church, then that makes a mockery of what Jesus did at the cross. Amen. We cannot be here for the seven years of wrath. Are you following me? Should we give some examples? Should we give okay. from the Old Testament? Sure. Okay, so think about, think about Noah's Ark, okay? It really it was really God's Ark that he provided for Noah. All right? The flood could not come until he was sealed in the Ark. Now, Noah didn't seal himself. God sealed the Ark. Noah went into it. Now, that Ark is representative of the Messiah. That Ark is representative of Jesus, Okay? a place of safety, or a place of refuge. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a place, Psalm 91, he's our refuge, he's our fortress. Okay, we see that theme there. The flood could not come until Noah went into the ark. He and his family, eight people altogether. Number eight always represents new beginnings, okay? Now, you remember when, when God came and visited Abram, mm -hmm. and two angels came with him. Well, it's really... Jesus pre-incarnate, okay? Because Jesus always was, right? Amen. Always is. Always will be. So it's not, Jesus didn't show up in Bethlehem. His body showed up in Bethlehem, okay? And so uh, God incarnate comes and, and Abram, uh, true to nature, invites him to come into his tent. He prepares food for him. He sits down. They're talking. This is, when, this is when God revealed to Abram that his wife would have a child. The child's name would be Isaac. Okay? But before he leaves, he says this. I can't do anything unless I first reveal it to my friends. Okay? So he, he pretty much reveals to Abram, look, Sodom is a very ungodly place. Sodom and the surrounding areas, and he tells God what's going to happen here. And, and not to get off track, that Abram starts negotiating. Well, if I can only find this many good people, will you still destroy this? And he gets him down to 10 individuals. You know the story. He starts out with 50 people. He gets down to 10 individuals. And so God sends two angels to Sodom. They can't find 10 good people. And so judgment's going to come. Wrath, judgment, same thing, right? Yeah. The wrath of God is the anger of God. Judgment is the anger of God. But the angel says to, to Lot and to his family, you have to flee. I cannot do anything until you leave the city. 
the wrath of God, the fire of God, the, the, the destructive power could not affect that area until Lot and his family were out of there. That's another type and shadow of the rapture. And the fact that the rapture will take place before all hell breaks loose on the earth. Amen. Are you understanding that? Yes. Okay. There's some other things that Jesus spoke of, but not to, we'll, maybe we'll cover it more in the future. But the types and shadows, the symbolism is there. Plus, the fact that even in the New Testament, we're delivered from the wrath to come by Jesus. Okay? So, any questions up until this point? We good? All right, we're good? All right, good, let's go. All right. So, let's open our Bibles, if you've got your Bible, Bible app, and let's kind of begin looking at this first letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. Let's, let's, let's read through it real quick and familiarize ourselves with the text. I know I know it. There's some people that may know a few verses of it. So it's, uh, let's just grab 13 through 18. In what chapter? Um, verse, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Of 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as we do, as the rest, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, and that we, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede or go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them into the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And therefore comfort one another with these words. Hi. So 1 Thessalonians uh, 14 to 18, Paul seems to be addressing the church at Thessalonica directly. This first letter, it meets Paul and he writes it with his own hand. They had questions that we talked about in the beginning, and this was one of the questions. What was the question that they must have asked Paul? What happens when we die? What happens to the people who we love, to our friends? They have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Paul, you came here, you preached a gospel message to us, we received that gospel message, and then you went away. You left Timothy here, and he's perfecting the church in this city, but my brother died. My sister passed on. My father and my grandparents are no, no longer with us. They declared Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Where are they now? Do we not ask these same questions today? This is, this is not... This is what I love about Paul. It's not rocket science. It's purely logical that these are the things that troubled the first century church that troubles our, that would trouble us today. Jesus, they, they had these questions, and Paul writes them back. They said, look, we understand Jesus went up, and we believe he's coming back, that we believe there was an imminent return. And let's stop there and unpackage that for a second. Pastor, do you want to grab that one? Well, I, I kind of talked about it before, like the, the basic message of the early church. I mean, the reason he had to write this letter partially was because the people believed this. They just didn't have a lot of clarity on it. And so people stopped working. People said, I was talking. I think I was talking, no, I was talking to Brian before service. Um, how many have ever heard of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination? Okay, let me see your hands. Okay, all right. So, just to give a kind of a loose paraphrase, the way that denomination kind of started was back in either the 1840s or 1850s, and forgive me if I'm off by a decade or so, there was a gentleman, I believe his last name was Miller, 
and I remember exactly. If anybody here knows the history better than I do, please uh, correct whatever I'm missing here. And he came out with a prediction that Jesus Christ was going to return to the earth on such and such a date. And uh, I believe his, the area where he lived was up in New York State somewhere. And so uh, all of his followers sold their farms, gave away all their possessions, and they all followed him up on this mountain on this particular day. I don't remember exactly what day of the year it was. Obviously, Jesus didn't come back. And so when you use the word Advent, like, like before Christmas, there's like four weeks of Advent. It's four weeks, the expectation of the coming. And so um, the same situation kind of happened back then in Thessalonica. Uh, they thought it was going to come back any day. Okay, they didn't understand, they didn't have revelation yet about the church age. Okay, remember, the early church, up until the first hundred years, was predominantly Jewish. In fact, the Romans came against it because they thought it was an offshoot of Judaism, okay? So, um, where was I going with that? The Advent. The Advent, okay. So, so you remember what happened in the book of Acts, in chapter 1? The disciples are on the Mount of Olives with Jesus, with the Messiah, okay? Zechariah foretold in the Old Testament, predicted that the second coming of Messiah, he would put his feet on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was split in half, okay? They believe, now there they are, they know the book of Zechariah, they understand Zechariah the prophet. They're, they're thinking to themselves, we're here, we're on the Mount of Olives, okay? Um, are you going up and coming right back? Or what are you doing? Like, you're going to restore the kingdom. Are you time. going to restore the kingdom at this point in time? In other words, is this it? Is this the second coming? Like you're here and you're on the Mount of Olives. You're doing everything that Zechariah the prophet predicted. Just like weeks before he marched into Jerusalem on a donkey as Zechariah had predicted. So they're putting this all together and thinking, okay, this is it. We're going to wrap this whole thing up. And that's why the natural question for them was, at this time, are you going to kick the Romans out? Are you going to set up your throne? Is this it? Are we wrapping this whole thing up? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the day or the, or the hour, which we could talk about that because I don't think it was what we think it was. Okay? In fact, I think he was telling them when he's coming. That's a whole other story. Okay? So, yeah, should we get there? No, we may. We may. Not, not tonight, though. Not tonight. Okay, so, um, so they're on the Mount of Olives and they're thinking it's going to happen any, any moment now. Now, this letter here could have only been written maybe 15 years later. Uh, 33 to 50, 35 to 50, yep. So, years. give or take a couple of years. So, the mindset's there. This is a, 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 an accepted belief. He's coming. He's, he's leaving, but he's coming back right away, and everything's going to get wrapped up soon. But Paul has to give some answers why then. Oh, my gosh, it's just dawned on me. Do you remember at the, at the end of the Gospel of John, okay, Jesus, when they went back fishing, Jesus comes over there, mm -hmm. and first he addresses Peter, Remember, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Three times, right? How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. So he asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. You know that I love you, blah, blah, blah. So then Peter, now John, the apostle, the young guy in the crowd, is obviously following behind because Peter turns around because Jesus says to him, when you're old, somebody's going to take you by the hands and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. In other words, he prophesied how... Simon Peter was going to die. So Simon turns around and says to Jesus, what about this guy? Remember that? And what did Jesus say? What do you care if he lives until I return? So naturally, if we were there, we would have thought the same thing. Okay, well, John's maybe at that point in time, maybe 20 at the most. So, so anybody that knew what Jesus had said about John, they're looking at John like a calendar. They're like, well, he's still here. So, so this was a mindset 
obviously that spread amongst the early churches that Jesus is coming right back. But they did not have the understanding of the church age. And thank God for the church age. Because if it weren't for the church age, 99.9% of us in this room would not be following the Messiah, following God Almighty. Amen? Amen. Did you want to say something? Oh, okay. But let's, 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 not, let's not look down our noses at the first century church. They believed wholeheartedly in the imminent return of Jesus. They didn't know when he was coming, but they believed he was coming. And that imminent return of Jesus is what drove the first century church to take over the known world in only two or three hundred years. But can, can I? They went. They, let me throw something sure, in, please. Go. I don't want to forget it. Okay. That chart that you put up. Can you put that back up? You see the purple, the one lighter shade of purple, and then it's almost like a pinkish purple, and then the purple. What does it say above that? We call it latter days. Ancient rabbis called it the age of the Messiah. They understood that there's going to be a 2,000-year period for the Messiah. There was. There is. But it's called the age of grace. The Messiah is ruling and reigning through his people. Now, the last part on the Sabbath is when he would come in person. They didn't have that revelation yet. Jesus gave clarity on a lot of these things. But this is, that's not a New Testament idea. The ancient rabbis understood that at the end of the age of the Torah, not putting away the Torah, but fulfilling the Torah, the Messiah would come. And there would be a 2,000-year time frame, time period, and then the Sabbath would come. You realize in the, in the, in the Old Testament, the prophecies talk of two Messiahs. You realize that? Well, the interpretation is there. There's Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, and then there is the restoration of the kingdom. We got included because of the suffering and servant. The seventh day, the 7,000 years, that's the restoration of the kingdom. And so there is a part of Judaism today that although doesn't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah for the, for the Jews, they will acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah for the Gentiles. Because their understanding was, instead of seeing that it's the same person coming two times, the first time fulfilling one part of prophecy, the second time fulfilling the second part of prophecy, they came to the conclusion that there's Messiah ben Joseph who is the Messiah for the Gentiles, and then there's Messiah ben David, who is the descendant of King David, the Messiah for the Jewish nation. Do you see it? Yes. Okay, and you know, it's, it's easy to make that mistake because you do see two different personalities in the, in the first covenant, in the old covenant. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let, me, let me finish this point that I was going to make. Do we know when Jesus is coming back? No. no. We, 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 I like to say it this way, we are converging on that point. But the first century Thessalonians that we were just talking about, they n didn't know when he was coming back. But look what the reaction of the first century church was. Anyone who would listen to them heard the gospel. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes into him will never perish, but have everlasting life. That was their message. And they held that message while they were tortured, they were brutalized, and, and all types of, 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 of um, persecution. Uh, persecution. 
we're, we're blessed. But that same angst needs to be on us if we believe that we are in a season of Jesus' imminent return, just like they did, we need to be about the business of the gospel in the same way that they are. I'm telling you, we don't know exactly what that well, seven years is going to be like, can we, read we don't want to be there. Can we read this again, First Thessalonians? Uh, Jay, start at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede or go before those who are asleep. In other words, those who have died, okay? For the Lord himself will descend. Not the Lord himself, Jesus himself, the Messiah himself, not another one, not a different one, the same one who left, okay? Will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that have died from Adam until that moment, right, who were believers, right? Doesn't, doesn't, not everybody comes out of the grave. Tough fact to face, but it's a fact to face, okay? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them where? In the house. I didn't hear from this side. Where? In the house. To do what? Where? In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Which words? He's going to descend with a shout. He's going to descend with the, with, the, with the voice of the archangel. He's going to descend with the trumpet of God. And it's about the last trumpet of God. And we're not talking about, this isn't a golden trumpet. This is a shofar trumpet. That blast to awake the armies of Israel, the nation of Israel. Okay, this is, this is all Old Testament language here. But I went over this again because before we leave tonight, I want to make this distinction. This is not the second coming. Now you, you made a statement before, and you're right. At this point in time, we don't know when the rapture is going to take place. But we will know when the second coming is going to take place. That we know. We'll know, and, and those that are left behind that didn't believe but still had some scriptures, they will be able to tell the rest of the world the exact moment that the second coming will take place because it will be exactly to the second when the rapture takes place seven years later. Seven years to the second. So that's why there's going to be such a great harvest that's why there's going to be more people come to Christ and be born again from every nation of the world after the church meets Messiah in the air and we're with him from that point forward, okay? So for seven years, we're just going to do an overview because we're going to go back into this because the time is running out here and I want to give a last opportunity. Just give me a second to finish this statement, okay? Anybody who's on the earth at that time, after the church has taken off this planet, and as ridiculous as that might sound, and as science fiction as that might, might sound, it has happened in the past. We just read over these things when we read the Bible. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. Let's make sure we talk about the rapture, different, different, different examples of the rapture. Okay, this is the appearing of Christ. This is not the second coming. Why are, we still, why are we teaching on the rapture in this series, or at least starting out with the rapture? Because that is the very next time that we will see Jesus in person. Amen. We're removed off this earth, just like Lot was removed from Sodom, just like Noah was put into that ark. We will be removed off this earth for seven years, seven years earth time. Yes. Somebody needs to calculate that. If a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, then what's seven years? It's probably about 20 minutes. In other words, we're going to go up. He's probably going to say, don't unpack anything because we're not staying here right now. Okay, now for us, it's going to be boom. We're going to have the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to celebrate Messiah. But unfortunately, all hell will be on this earth. 
Jesus described those times and said, if he didn't return and put a stop to things, no life would be left on the planet. So I want you to understand, we're talking about the rapture. Yes, at this point in time, we can't say what date the second coming will take place. Okay? But, we, but the whole world will know once the rapture takes place. Okay? And everybody's going to go max out their credit cards. Well, they won't be able to buy and sell. Well, they won't be able to buy and sell, so that puts the end of the credit cards. Yeah. So at this point, does anybody have a question? And then I'll let Pastor Jerry wrap things up. Susan? Who's going to teach the people when everybody, when we all go? Oh, when we go, there's people going to get born again after the rapture. Okay. I mean, it's going to be a tough time. And there's 144,000 native Jews, 100% full-blooded descendants of Abraham, that the Holy Spirit will reveal Messiah to them. They will get saved. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. They have the wisdom of God operating them. They can work miracles. And so you imagine 144,000 on fire evangelists wow. spreading all over this planet. Hallelujah. People will be getting saved left and right. That's the great harvest. I like to say it this way. Imagine 144,000 Pauls. Yeah. God's going to release them on the face of the earth. But they'll also have the testimony of the people in this room who told their neighbors, their family, you need Jesus Christ in your life so you can be born afresh, born anew. Amen. And when you disappear... The lack of your presence will be the testimony of the truth of what you said. Somebody else had a question. So the, so the rapture will be invisible to non-believers? They'll, they'll just disappear? And I don't think so. They'll see the rapture is going to be invisible? I don't, I don't think the Bible teaches a secret the, rapture. The, the Bible does not teach a secret rapture. It will be... I, I mean, like it's to going say to be this way, open and notorious. I mean, will it be visible? Will they see dead yes. people rising? I don't know that. Um, I don't know. I can't answer that. But from what we're going to see in the Thessalonian text is the graves will be open, and those that who will be who will rise from the grave to meet Jesus in the air. They're going to see that. They're going to see that because they're going to have their glorified bodies. They're going to be reunited with the glorified. Plus, bodies they're going to see empty graves, spirit. empty tombs, empty mausoleums. Wait for the mic. I think that the second coming. I know where you're going. Two in the field. One will disappear. One will still be there. That's the second coming. Yeah. Somebody else had a hand up before. Yes, sir. If everyone on the planet witnesses the rapture, why do we? Why are we going to need 144,000 Pauls? It's it's. Good question. I mean, most of Jerusalem saw the resurrection. The <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you witnessed, do you that, remember the you remember you remember the story that Jesus told about Lazarus and the rich man? Lazarus go Lazarus dies, goes to paradise with Abraham. The rich man dies and goes to hell. The rich man obviously could see into paradise and says to Abraham, "Please send Lazarus to go talk to my brothers." Because I forget if he had five or six brothers, five. He said, so that they don't come to this place. And Abraham says to him, they have the law and the prophets. In other words, they have the Bible. And even if somebody, if they won't believe that, even if somebody raises from the dead, they won't believe him either. There's going to be people, because we know that in the book of Revelations, it says that the people, some of them at some point in time when they're at the God, say, let the hills fall on us. Let the rocks fall on us. Hide us from the face of him. Uh, it's from the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb. The of the lamb. Okay, so there are going to be people, and no matter what happens, no matter what, don't you know anybody that God has moved tremendously in their life, and they still won't believe? Yes. And of course, the world will explain it away. It was an alien abduction. Why do you think you're hearing all this stuff now? All of a sudden, intelligent people are not afraid to come out and with 20 years ago, we look like idiots talking about aliens and UFOs. They're setting the whole thing up. Because the, the devil knows he's got to explain this away somehow. So, did that help? Yeah. Um, the, the verses that we read in chapter 4, how, how did Paul 
know these things? Like, where did he get his knowledge from? Good question. You talked about, about this before. This afternoon. Yeah. Oh. There's a very, very small little text that gets overlooked that we think in our mind from this 2,000-year-old perspective that Paul got thrown from the horse, he got knocked blind. Uh, and next thing he did was write the Thessalonians, right? And, and, <laughs> and he got his sight back, and he went out, and he started preaching the gospel. Paul disappeared for three years into the wilderness, and he was instructed by the Holy Spirit in not only the Old Testament word, which he already knew under, under, the, under Gamaliel, but he got instructed in the word according to, the, to, to the, the mystery of the church. In other words, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And that's what he probably experienced for those three years in the desert. That's a great question. Because you see other times when Paul says, I receive from the Lord. When we have our instruction for communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, I received from the Lord that which I also give unto you. And then he goes on to explain what Jesus taught him about communion. Now, he wasn't there the Last Supper. In fact, he never saw Jesus physically on earth before Jesus was crucified. Mm -hmm. He sees the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Anybody else? Yes, back there. Good evening. Uh, believers' spirits who have died already during that stage, the body is, uh, you mentioned that the body is risen. And I'm guessing it's joining. You're with talking the about after the rapture, during the rapture. Yeah, when you said that the bodies will be risen to the air, so the spirits of believers who have already passed, they're in heaven, and then the bodies will join those spirits. So will ours. One. Right, we'll get the same glorified body. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it'll happen in an instant. We're going to look as we get into the text next week. If this is good. Come back next week. Bring your neighbor. Bring your sister. Bring your brother. Bring your um, enemy. We're gonna look. We're gonna look into the text next week, which is gonna address that. Okay. Uh, the the Jewish rabbis, whatever they are, who were gonna be testifying for Jesus Christ and all these people getting saved, are those people? going to stay there and join in the testifying to Christ. There's another rapture, right? The 144,000. Oh, I didn't hear. I, yeah. I was trying not to. Is that who you're talking about? Yes. The 144,000. No, I'm talking about the 144. They're going to preach to the people, and the people are going to get saved. You just said a lot of people are going to come. What's going to happen to them? Is that what you're saying? Yes. They have to go through the tribulation. And most will be martyred. That's why it's so important for us to reach people now. Mm -hmm. Who else are we here? Along the same lines of uh, what the gentleman said over there, uh, the, the people that are... Uh, Dennis, is that you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hi, Joe. <laughs> nice to see you. So, so people are concerned that being cremated will ruin their chances of being caught up in the rapture. Is, 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 is there any difference between being buried and cremated? Uh, you don't be, think the same God who said, Because yeah, you're talking about being, we get a new body, the Bible says. Right. right? So it doesn't, I, that's what I well, was thinking, it doesn't make Those remains will come off the earth. Like even people that drowned in the ocean, they received their glorified body. Right. It's, it's not going to be a problem for God to find all those specs. Right. So we're just trying to picture where those souls come up from the ground. Well, their souls convert. don't come up from the ground. Their bodies in the ground. Their spirits in heaven. Their spirits in heaven. Right. Yeah. No, don't don't mix that up. Okay. The body is in the ground. Their spirits in heaven. Okay. So it's a regathering, a rejoining together. Uh, one more question. Pastor. Uh, where, question, where am I? Who am I looking at? Pastor, hi. Oh, okay. So my question is this. To be absent in the body and present with the Lord, does that have to do with the rapture? No, that's when a person dies. That's their uh, spirit. That's their spirit. We go immediately and we're with the Lord. We don't go to limbo. We don't go to purgatory. We don't go to any of these places. It's, 
you go straight, you're immediately in his presence. That, that pertains to anybody who passes away um, before the rapture. Like we say, a person went home to be with the Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. Mindy? Hello? Oh, <laughs> sorry. The word rapture, where does it come from? Come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know what you're thinking. Well, that word doesn't exist in the Bible. Neither does the word Trinity. Oh, you give it away next week. Oh, I gave away next week. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't resist it. Okay, one more. Over here. Hold on. We can't hear you. About the people getting saved during um, when after we're raptured, but when the Antichrist is in control, he'll be conquering the unbelievers. He desires to conquer. Okay. Doesn't mean he's going to succeed. Amen. Right. I think we'll Everybody be- makes that assumption that he's going to take over the whole world. That's his desire. You think God's going to sit back and let him take over the whole world? He, I think we need to make a point. The church gets raptured. We're going to talk next week about what that means. The Holy Spirit stays here. I know there's teaching out there that the Holy Spirit gets withdrawn. It's the end of the... the it's no. the church that gets withdrawn. The Holy Spirit stays here, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit continues. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To convict the world of sin. So salvations will happen during the time of the tribulation. The greatest salvations in all of human history will take place after the rapture. We keep talking about this last great harvest. We're not going to see it. We're seeing a harvest. We're going to see harvest. We're going to continue to see harvest. But the greatest harvest that's ever happened will happen three seconds after the rapture. Pastor Joy, can we get a mic over here, please? The guys are all huddling back there. Then you have to run. You mentioned that your spirit goes to heaven when you're absent from the body, present with the Lord. How about your soul? Where does that does that go with your spirit? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. I don't see anything that separates the soul and the spirit. I know I know you. God deals with us through our spirit, yeah. but at that point, let, let, let us go back to what we know from precedent. Okay, Lazarus and the rich man. Okay, they weren't born again. But they had cognitive ability. The rich man knew Lazarus. He recognized Lazarus. In fact, their capabilities are even heightened because the rich man knew Abraham. Abraham lived 2,500 years before. So our, our soul is made up of our mind, our will, our emotions. So they knew each other. They recognized each other. Yeah, our soul is going to be there, is, is all part together. Can I jump on You know, I've heard even somebody say, you know, your personality may be similar to what you have now, just completely redeemed. How many said thank God for that? In Genesis, we hear that uh, God created man, and he took the dust of the earth, actually red dust, that's a dab. So is that spirit, soul, or body? And molded a form. That's body. And God breathed into him the uncreated life, spirit or soul? Spirit. And then the King James gets it right. It's, King James says, and he became, and man became a living soul. soul. The other translations say a living being. When you die, you don't stop being a being. That's what's so tormenting about hell. In hell, there are people there for that in earth time, thousands of years, they're still very much aware of their surroundings, of their suffering, of their life that they had here, the regrets, the whatever, the guilt, the condemnation. Um, that's what's so horrific about about being separated from God forever. One more question. We've got to wrap it up because we're way over time here. Okay, so you have a little baby that passes. Baby's buried. Baby's what? The baby's buried. 
you know, buried in the ground. Be buried? buried? Oh, a baby is oh, buried? Oh, buried, okay. Buried. Okay. After the passing of the baby, the baby's buried. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, you have a man who's 96 years old. He dies and he's buried. So now when Jesus comes back, will that baby still be a baby? And will that man be an old man? Good question. You want me to jump on it? Go ahead. The, the, the easy answer to that is we don't know. I don't see it anywhere in scripture. There are good Bible students who theorize that we will, our glorified bodies will be at the same age that Jesus was when he was raised. However, but that is not scriptural. That is their theory. There have been people that God has allowed to be translated to heaven and they see children there. That's a good point. So we don't know. Honestly, it's not a point of really contention. I'm sure the 96-year-old would be very happy to have a 33-year-old body. <laughs> we have to wrap this up, so. There was a scripture that says, Jesus talking to someone, I don't know the verse, but it said, you shall be like me. What how do you mean, with a glorified body or his age? Or both? <laughs> I'll settle for it. Yeah, right. I wouldn't mind being 33 years old for the rest of eternity. All right, listen, before we go, before we go, if by chance there's anyone here who has never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, well, what do you mean, Pastor? If by chance you're here, you've known about Jesus, you've heard about him, but you have never come to the place where you said, I believe in him, I want him to be my Lord, I want him to be my Savior, that's what it's going to take to enter into eternity and have everlasting life as opposed to entering into eternity and have everlasting death. It is not about your good deeds. It is not about how great of a person you are. It's not about what you've accomplished in life. It is about this. Who is Jesus Christ to you? That's the only question upon which all of our eternity weighs in the balance. Do you believe that he is the son of God. Do you believe that he came to this earth, died on the cross, and that God our Father in heaven received Jesus' sacrifice as payment for our sins, much like the lambs in the Old Testament, bulls, rams, animals that were sacrificed to appease the anger of God? Okay? Have you received Christ have you declared your faith in him? If you have not, please, 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 before you walk out those doors, come up to the front here. There's people up here that will gladly lead you in a very simple prayer and give you the opportunity to be born again, to have your spirit come alive unto God, and for you to, with all confidence, walk out of this place tonight knowing I am a child of God. Amen. And if God forbid that I should take my last breath tonight, I would be in his presence and be with the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. That's what's important tonight. Amen? Amen? So, if you need prayer for anything tonight besides that, please don't leave. Come up front. There's people that will pray for you, pray with you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Don't forget to be here next week. Bring your outline back, please.